Amen. You can take your seats. It's great to be here with you this afternoon and great to share the Word of God with you. It's great to uh, be in the house of God always together and to just take these moments to be strengthened in the Word of God. I want to say thank you again to our senior leader, Colin Dye, for the privilege of sharing with you and preaching to you this, mo- uh, this afternoon. You know, it's been a, a great pleasure throughout all of my time here at KT to serve Colin and get to uh, travel with him and so on. And, you know, one of the great things about our senior leader is that he really practices what he preaches in terms of seeking God and being a disciple maker. Uh, There's a sermon that I'm going to preach and share with you today. And just to encourage you that he really lives this. He's a a man that cares about people sharing the gospel Um, amidst all that he does here in the church. He has a number of friends that he goes and meets with who aren't yet Christians and seeks to bring them to Christ. So when we stand here and say, listen, you know, we want to encourage you all to be out there preaching the gospel. We try as much as possible to practice it ourselves. I've got a joke for you this afternoon. I don't normally start with jokes, uh, but because I know my sermon content, maybe we should start with a joke. Um, as Sunday school teachers finished a hard day's teaching with their kids, and they've all been having lots of fun, learning all about the Bible and so on, and just as they're about to leave to go back up to the church, she thinks, you know, it's really important to remind these kids Um, They're about to walk into a church service. So she says, kids, why is it important to be really quiet when you walk back into church? One of the kids answers, because there's people sleeping up there, miss. (laughs) I know that you're a very attentive audience and you always hang on the words that we have to share here and we're really grateful for that. But if we could take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here this afternoon. Lord, we thank you that you desire that we live lives that are grounded in the truth of the Word of God and lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can glorify you through our decision-making and our our walk. We ask you, Father, each one of us, strengthen us by your Spirit this afternoon. Help us to pursue you in a real way, a radical way, a way that touches your heart and a way that gives you great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, my sermon title for today, Essential Living, Journeying on Purpose. I want to ask you, what are your priorities? What is the direction that you're going on and are you journeying journeying towards God's purpose for your life? What are you investing in? Now, every one of you have a mobile phone, right? Yeah? You'd be an incredible person if in today's day and age you've resisted these, you know, big wastes of time, What else would you call them? Um, You know, some people call them extensions of self. These have become so prevalent in our lives that we spend a huge amount of time on our phones. And I'm sure most of you have Instagram. I only recently got converted to Instagram. I was just about to leave all of social media. I thought, you know what, I need to make some decisions. But um, I got converted to Instagram for the purposes of, you know, advertising what we're doing in church and so on. And Um, as part of the the show that I have with TBN. And, um, you know, Instagram, you can tell a huge amount about what's important to somebody from their phone, what they're posting. Maybe you'd see photos of family. Maybe you'd see today's look, what the person's decided to dress like today, where they're at, their location. Maybe there's something spectacular about design or buildings that they're seeing, or maybe they just want to show off that they've been upskilling themselves in content creation. But if you were to take anyone's phone off of them and begin to scroll through their phone, you'd also see what only they can see but no one else can. 
And that is these wonderful stories, formerly known as adverts, that find their way into your feed. And you look at those things and you think, wow, I really need that. Like I was just scrolling through before, one that came up on my feed was uh, something to correct your posture so you stand more upright with your shoulders back. I thought, wow, I need that. Cookies and algorithms are great at profiling you according to the people that you follow, the hashtags you look up, what you've previously searched for in your web browser. Maybe you were in Chrome looking up something, a book or something, and then suddenly you're in your app and that advert's popped up there. You know that GDPR thing, this thing about data and concern out there? Cookies get around that. They don't need your name. They just need your search history. And a little retargeting later, voila, it's called personal advertising. And what these devices are geared to doing is to linking up your desires with your opportunity to indulge your desires. What they want out of you is your money. But what's an important lesson for us to learn is that not every desire should be indulged. Actually, it's crazy when you start to think about this a little more deeply. It's deeply troubling that at the core of this uh, thing that's happening amongst us today, you might not even have noticed it, this idea of personalized advertising, at the core of it is not a father who desires to give you good gifts, who knows you by name. At the core of it, it's a machine that only knows where you've been, doesn't even know your name, and is trying to shape your desires. Now, what if I was to take your phone off you and begin to look through and find these adverts that are popping up, what would I find? Would it be clothing? Would it be particular shoes? Would it be a holiday destination? Would it be online dating, trying to find your husband or wife? Our mobile screens are the quickest representation of our personal space. And if you were to look at mine, you'd see a whole load of adverts on coaching. One of my pet areas of research is to find out how I can be more productive, how I can find the cutting edge I am the kind of person that really thrives under pressure. I've got my dissertation due in just a month's time and uh, really now coming into the pressure time of trying to get that done. And so if you were scrolling through, you'd see, Gabriel, do you desire to be more effective with your time? Do you want to just cut through all the mess and do what matters to your life and all of these kind of adverts? I don't know what would pop up for you. One of our Bible school students is a, a vegan. Um, and I was having this conversation with her. It's hilarious because she's saying, all of my Instagram feed is about veganism. And the vegans just know not to try and advertise to me because I eat too much meat. But like fake news, coaching, or veganism, it's really important that we be careful about not di diving deeper into the rabbit hole of our devices because we will only find in there the machine's reflection of who we are to be. Don't live by what the world tells you is important. Someone WhatsApping me. Rather, live by who the Bible says we're to be. And the text that I want to read to you today just takes your throne and throws it out the window. <laughs> the screen didn't crack, thank Jesus. That is my real phone. It wasn't a prop. And this text I'm about to read grabs you and asks, what is your real priority? What are you living for? There is life before and after and outside of your phone. Luke 14, verse 25. 
Now greater crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Wait, some of you, some of you took that passage literally. You read that passage from the perspective of, I love hating people. So you went ahead and did it. Too small of heart to love the way that Jesus calls for us to love. You justified yourself by your self-righteousness. And you began to heap condemnation and shame and guilt on those who are supposed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through you. It doesn't cost you anything to hate people that you hate. It's just simply fulfilling your fleshly desires. But he goes on to say, if you do not hate even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Really challenging words from Jesus. Really profound words that he's speaking right to our heart. Is he asking us to become schizophrenic people who are to love one another on one hand and hate one another, especially those most important to us? No, no, no. Jesus is challenging us that we need to get our priorities straight. See, the use here of this term hate is a Jewish literary function. When we think of Jacob and Esau, it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What this refers to in a biblical context is by comparison to, so the New Living Translation says it this way, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. What that means is we put Christ first and everyone else tears after Jesus. But this is a lot harder. You know, that idea it was so much easier when it just said hate one another and we just hated one another because we were following Jesus. It's much harder to carry your loved ones in your heart, the people that you want to spend the most time with. When I look at that list, the people I want to spend the most time with are my wife and my children and then my brothers and sisters, both real brothers and then brothers and sisters in the faith. There's nothing I'd rather do then spend time with the core people that I love. But to follow Christ, we have to make decisions. And there are times that we have to make these prioritizing decisions. You know, if you think of myself and Grace, we both have young kids. On a Sunday, there's times, honestly speaking, I'd rather be with them than with you. But I am here with you because that's part of the challenge of being in the ministry call that we're called to. See, the kingdom of God is one of love, and it's one where we practice sacrificial love. But this begins by how do we put the right people in the right order? First, we love God, and then we learn to love one another after that. And this is one of those great challenges that Jesus has for us. How do we follow Christ? I was just thinking about this earlier. There's a really uh, incredible book that my wife's just finished reading. It's uh, by Ruth Graham, who is Billy Graham's daughter. And it's called A Legacy of Faith. Just uh, cover there for you if you're interested in finding the book yourself. But she tells a story of what it was like to live with a man who proactively put the ministry of preaching the gospel first and the sacrifices she and her brothers and sisters had to make in order to live with her father. Incredible testimony. But in the 21st century, we're also dealing with a different opportunity. Women all over are rising up as disciples of Jesus. 
just like Jesus had disciples in the first century, female and male, and every, uh, every century since, even in the midst of great social prejudice or societal prejudice, we want to, in this day and age, see women showing other women what it is to pay the price to follow Jesus as well. How do you steward the great love that you have, ladies, when you're single and trying to be a disciple of Christ? Wife, trying to be a disciple of Christ. Mother, trying to be a disciple. Career woman, trying to be a disciple. Friend, trying to be a disciple. It's a great challenge that we all have. How do we inspire each other to do what Jesus is asking us to do in this context, to put Christ first? But to speak to all of us, men and women today, this text is really a searching text. It's a text that asks us a big question. What do you really want? I don't know if you've been in all the sermons that I've preached over the past month or so, but they've all been focusing on the difficult sayings of Jesus. I talked to the issue of um, loving your enemies last time I was here a couple of weeks ago with you. Before that, I was preaching out of John 6, uh, where Jesus is talking about the bread of life and how we need to eat of his body and drink of his blood. Very challenging sayings. But what is with Jesus in these difficult sayings? I mean, I, I meant it was, it was embarrassing enough when the preacher asked me that day to put my hand up in a service and say, I want to go to heaven. I'm doing my best to get here just for one service a month, one Sunday a month. If I miss the worship, well, never mind. They didn't sing the songs that I like. But why is Jesus asking so much of me? You know how serious someone is about doing something by the price that they're prepared to pay for it. Uh, recently, we, we, we've had to start to uh, work on our discipline structure for my three-nager. Three-teenager. He's only three. But if you spent any time talking with him, you'd think he was an adult. And most of the time, he's great when he's, um, we're in the bedtime routine. You know, I start prepping him. We've finished dinner. We're sitting down to read the stories. And, you know, Luke, we've got three stories now. Then you're going to go to bed. Two stories, then you're going to go to bed. Most of the time, it's like, yes, daddy, yes, daddy. And he just goes and gets into bed like good, good young man. But then there comes these days when he's just not in the mood. Like he is in the mood to play around and mess around and he's running around and he's hitting his little brother Isaiah, who's only seven months. He's doing all of these things. And then we have to bring out the discipline structure. Now, there is a, a place where we get to thinking about smacking him, but we've not reached there yet because he responds nice and early. But there are some things that he's learned from us. Now, let me tell you about a little toy that he's got for my grand, his granddad, my dad, uh, before I go any further. Um, my dad went into Toys R Us just before it closed down and was scouring the shelves. He wanted to get as many good deals as he could. And, and so he bought a few different toys for Luke, but one toy that he bought is his prized toy. It was like originally 300 quid down to 50 quid. It's a little electric Audi that you can sit in and drive around in the garden, right? It is his pride and joy. So anyway, back to the story. Luke's playing up. He's all kinds of messing around. And I go, Luke, if you don't come and get into bed, there's not three stories, there's zero stories. I don't care, Daddy. I don't want to read any stories. Okay. If you carry on, Luke, and don't come to bed, no iPad tomorrow. You can't watch any of your shows that you like watching. I don't care, Daddy. I don't want to watch any of my iPad stories. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm going through it, and then I go, okay, that's it, Luke. I'm done. Dad? 
sell the Audi. No, Daddy, no, 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 no. <laughs> he goes and lies down and puts his head down. It is surefire the quickest way to get him to sleep, threatening the Audi. See, there's a price he's not willing to pay. He's not willing to give up the Audi. That passage goes on to say this in Luke 14, 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone should laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the army of 20,000 coming against him. And it goes on to say, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. In the high stakes of decision-making for your life, is your highest motivation, how can I honor God through this situation? There's a reason that Jesus asks, says this particular thing directly about the family as his first point of contact. The reason is that this was the most prized aspect of your identity. He's saying, you know what? In understanding who you are, the thing that you prize the most are who your father, mother, your brothers, sisters are. They are your inheritance where you're going to receive your future. They're the ones who provided for you and so on. And he's asking, where is your allegiance? Is your allegiance to the family or is your allegiance to me? This is uh, highlighted by an interesting scenario that happened to me. I was away uh, honeymoon with my wife, Rebecca, and we were just enjoying some time on a beach. And we were in a Hindu nation where, uh, you know, they worship many, many gods and so on. It's cultural. And we sat with this man for literally an hour, and he was happy to talk. And we talked about God and Jesus and what he believed and so on. And I talked him through understanding who Jesus was. And at the end of our time together, I said, who do you believe Jesus is? He says, I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus did many miracles. I believe Jesus died. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. I was like, okay, are you ready to become a Christian today? Then he says, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. Why not? Oh, because of my family and because of my culture. I'm a Hindu. I cannot leave all that behind to become a Christian. There are people today who, when they come home with their uh, new boyfriend or girlfriend, they're looking for mom and dad to say yes. And what happens when mom and dad say no? That person doesn't get the call back. Because often, family makes such a big impact on our decisions. Jesus is asking for us to have skin in the game. This is a phrase that's often used today. Thinking back to the message I preached last time about this, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. What is Jesus on about? Well, think about the context. Jesus is leading this group of disciples that are planning on starting the next revolution. They're planning on starting the revolution that will literally overthrow the Roman Empire, cause the ascendancy of the Jewish nation and the establishing of a Jewish empire. They believe that Jesus was the Son of God and he was going to start to bring in the kingdom as they understood it. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, you got this all wrong. This isn't some glorious 
victory parade where I'm going to march into Jerusalem and take over everything and announce the kingdom and bring in a whole new state of being. I'm on my way to give my life for the lost. And he's saying to them, listen, you need to understand that this is about personal sacrifice, not personal victory. There's commitment that's required. Here the same, Jesus is saying, don't follow me because I'm the latest thing. Don't follow me because you think I'm the one that's going to meet all of your needs and make life cushy. He's saying, follow me because you've considered skin in the game. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to really get discerning about this with your Christian leaders. You know, in this day and age, you can just go on YouTube, you can search for your favorite person, your favorite pastor, your favorite teacher. And the reality is the goal of this verse isn't their goal. I'm not saying become judgmental. I'm not saying turn away from every Christian preacher. What I'm saying is this, discern. Don't just love the platform minister because they've got a huge YouTube platform. Look for what you see off the platform. Are they in discipleship relationships themselves? Are they seeking to make disciples around them? Does their family come to church with them? Do their family look happy? Those are the kind of metrics that the Bible looks to in Timothy. Be careful of those that you choose to have as your leaders. Do they have skin in the game? But then beyond that, Jesus would ask us, have you considered your priorities? Have you considered where Jesus fits in the tiering of your life and in everything else? And there's three areas that I want to talk to, and uh, hopefully these challenge and touch some of the areas that we're thinking about. How do you choose your career? How do you choose your career? I wonder how many of you chose your career because it was what you're gifted to do? How many of you chose your career because it's where you felt you had to go? How many of you chose your career because you thought it's where you would make the most money? Now, when I was at uni, I did chemistry. Uh, when I left uni, the only thing I knew was that I didn't want to do chemistry for my profession. But then I thought, you know, well, what can I do next? My dad is a uh, financier. He was uh, an investment banker back in the day before 2008, before he lost everything in that uh, crash. But I thought, you know what, maybe I can be like my dad. Maybe I can make loads of money. Maybe I can go and become, uh, start a finance career. And so I went off to start training. Never once did I think about what am I gifted for? What am I made for? And thank God he had bigger plans, took me on a journey, 14-year journey actually, to get here. But where all of my gifts and talents are effective for what I'm doing here in terms of being a preacher and teacher. Now, what I'm not saying is, to become a disciple, you need to become a platform minister, actually far from that. What I'm trying to say is, asking God, how did you create me, God? What gifts did you give me? What did you intend for me to do with these gifts? How can I use these gifts to glorify you in the workplace? I was talking with a man this morning. He said, you know what? I'm in banking and I've been crying out to God to get out of banking for the last 15 years. And I said, why? Oh, because I want to reach people. So did you know that the biggest killer of men in this country, between 30 and 40, is suicide. And a lot of them are in your profession. Don't come and join my profession. Be a pastor right where you are. Help people make decisions about not committing suicide. 
But how did you choose your career? Was Jesus in the core of that decision-making process? Second question, how did you choose your life partner? You know, what we often see happen in the church is that people come in, they get saved, they get real radical about pursuing God, and then they come to the place where they're like, you know what, <laughs> I need to get married. I need to find my husband, I need to find my wife, um, and if I can't find anyone in church, well, I'm going to find someone somewhere. So if they find a non-Christian, well, let me just ask you a question. How would you live this verse? How would you put Jesus first when the person you're joining yourself to for life has no interest in doing the same? How would you put Christ at the center of your marriage when Jesus doesn't belong in that other person's heart even? But neither should we be lazy. I've heard people say, well, so-and-so was a Christian. I just talked to you a moment ago about discernment. Uh, are you looking for the evidence of the fire burning in their life? And I don't mean the burning loins kind of fire that you read about in the Bible. I mean, is the passion for God burning in their life so that you see it in their prayer, see it in the way that they live their life, see it in the way that they serve? Listen, if a guy can't keep his hands off you and can't understand no, then you should really question whether he understands Christianity and what it is to honor someone's yes and someone's no. How do you choose your life partner? Is Jesus at the center of that? How do you make a daily decision? Third question. Do you know what you're starting? Now this, sorry ladies, we had the, the moment for you earlier, guys, I've got to talk to you for a minute. Though those of you who steal your partner's razors to shave your legs, you can relate to this, okay? Um, did you know that when you go into Boots, you know, they have these beautiful offers. You can go see, I'm not naming any brands, okay? But you can go see those wonderful razors where they have five blades and it's got a battery in there to vibrate the blades so that it makes the hair on your face stand up and you can get a closer shave. And you think, wow, and they've got this special offer and the handle's for free and you get the razor blades. But you know, if you make that step and commit to that particular razor blade, do you know how much it's going to cost you over the course of your life? 22,000 US dollars. If you went for the three blade version, 7,000 US dollars. If you go for one of those old school ones where you just have the little blade that you fit inside the, 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 the holder and it's a single blade, not four, but just a single blade, you get just as good a shave. Do you know how much it costs you over the course of a lifetime? 400 US dollars. Think about that for a moment. We get sucked into buying stuff that we don't need and we make a commitment to a brand from the beginning that might cost us literally thousands over the course of our lifetime. Bring that back to, hey, hey, I can get with anyone that I want without discerning if they're a Christian or serious about their faith. Hey, I can just jump into any career and just do what I want. Hey, I can just spend money however I want. The lifetime cost is not worth that initial attraction. Jesus asked for us to be discerning about how we spend our money. Now, what would you pay the price for? Jesus isn't just challenging us to not be negative, uh, to be negative people and say, oh, you can't be my disciple this, you can't be my disciple that. There's a reason why Jesus was challenging them. If you think about the context, Jesus is going around, thousands of people are flocking to Jesus. 
Thousands of people are being healed by Christ. They're seeing the dead raised. They're seeing blind eyes open. They're seeing deaf ears open. They're seeing people that have been tormented for decades set free. This is the place to be. This is the place where everything's happening. This is a place where lives are being transformed. I want to be there. By virtue of Jesus being Jesus, Peter was famous. James and John were famous. Everyone knew their name because they hung out with Jesus. This was the place for them to become known. But Jesus wants them to know in this place of great fame, listen, you got it all wrong if you think that this is about becoming the next superstar. You need to understand that this is going to cost you everything. To come back to the passage that we read, there's these stories that he's highlighting. The man who began to build and couldn't finish. The man who thought he could take on an army twice his size and ended up losing. See, these two are examples of people who've tried and failed. And I don't know if you're one of these people that plays it safe. You like to look at the people that have tried and failed and say, ha, 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 look at them, they made a mess. I'm never going to make the same mistake. But then your response is to become inactive, to become a person that watches from the sidelines. These stories are not stories about making wise, non-risky exchanges. These are all-in challenges. You've got to go all-in on something for your life to, to count for what, it, what it's supposed to be. You can't just sit and wait for your opportunity to come your way. You can't just sit and wait for other people to come and pay you thousands or millions of pounds. They're not going to do it, okay? But the point I'm trying to make is that you're going to have to take the risk to get the reward that you want, but let it be the risk for the thing that really matters. That is to follow Christ. Let it be the risk to say, you know what, Jesus, whatever it costs me, I'm going to follow your way. And this isn't the part-time all-in. I'm serious until my needs don't get met, then I'm going to meet them somewhere else. This is, there's nothing out there for me except for you, Jesus. That's where Peter came to. Came to the point where he said, listen, where else would I go? You're the ones that got eternal life here, Jesus. But to say this to you at the end, what you're prepared to sacrifice is where you're prepared to make room to be filled. Where you say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. If it means I don't ever make my money, if it means that I don't have life as I would like for it to be easy, I'm willing to follow you. It's in that place that Jesus begins to turn up and transform our life. You might be going through a great challenge, but you might see people get saved. You might be wondering what's the purpose of my life and seeing people get healed. And that's where you begin to see the stuff that really matters to life. Jesus is speaking in the negative. You cannot be my disciple if you're not willing to do these things. But if we flip that, Jesus wants serious, committed disciples. He wants people who have skin in the game because it's those kind of people that Jesus can work with to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the great privileges when you start to see people happy, I've had a lot of joy this year or this summer. I've been to people's weddings uh, where I was with them right at the beginning when they started the relationship and they're getting married now. Today at the 11 o'clock, I was dedicating uh, a boy. Five years ago, his parents came to me on the verge of breaking up. Two years ago, they got married. Today, dedicating their child. What a great privilege and joy it is to walk with people on this journey. Equally, it's a great privilege to be out there seeing people that you knew were once sick, healed. You knew who were once desperate for work, 
moving forward with work, you too can begin to step into a ministry life with Christ where in your workplace, in your community, in your family, you are making this difference for the Lord because it's through you as someone that surrendered that Jesus can change the world. And in that place, you begin to realize, wow, this is what I really wanted to live for. This is what I really believe God made me for. Don't sit back and be like, oh, you know, you don't know, you don't know what I've had to go through. I don't. But do you want what you've been through to hold you back from where you're going? Oh, you know, I need God to prove himself before I'm willing to take that step. Hasn't he proved himself enough to you? Saving your life? Providing for you? Keeping you this far? Oh, you know, I've got so many other things to do. What do you have to do that's more important than to make that decision to put Christ first? There's a ministry before you that literally will mean the difference for many people between life and death. Paul says it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpassed it. For if what was brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And what he's saying is, there was a life that was before, that was glorious in its own way. He's talking particularly about the religion he used to follow. But then he's talking about this greater glory, which now makes so much more sense for him, this glory of revealing Christ through his life. So I turn to you today with a challenge. My challenge to you is this, to go and read that verse. And to ask yourself the question, what do I really want? We've got two weeks until September starts. Most people think of September as a new season, the end of the summer holidays, beginning of a new term, uh, a new season at work, and so on. I want to challenge you in those two weeks, ask yourself, am I prepared to follow Christ? Has my family become my priority over Christ? Love your family, but Christ first. Has my job become my priority over my family? Well, your job needs to be put in the right place. God, family, job, so on. But say, Jesus, am I willing to follow you? Even if being obedient is going to cost you. Even if it means in September you're going to have a difficult conversation with your boss. Listen, I love my my work. I love my job. But at six o'clock, I got to go because I got to go see my fam. I got to go worship God. You can't be telling me at six o'clock I need to stay till nine o'clock. It doesn't work like that. I've got other priorities in my life that I need to honor. That might be a difficult conversation you need to have. Maybe you need to say to your family, listen, I need to be at church. If you wake up on Sunday, don't want to go to church, I need to go. If you're not going to come, well, you stay at home, but I need to go. You need to start having some difficult conversations about setting your own life in order. Are you going to enter and stay in the place of sacrifice? Now, say all that to say this, that Jesus actually believed that the people who really wanted to live for him would do it. And I believe that as you read that passage, the Holy Spirit will witness to you that you really want to do this. And you can. When you say, Jesus, I don't know how. It's going to be tough, but I want to put you first. He's going to equip you to make that decision. And each day, you'll get to move forward with the Lord. Each day, you'll get to say, you know what, Jesus? It gets easier to follow you. It's hard, the things I've had to lay down, but I want to follow you with all my life. And maybe one day you'll become that kind of person that says like uh, Peter, 
Where should we go? You've got the words of eternal life. But in your experience of eternal life, you see life happening all around you with people coming to Christ, people getting healed and restored and set free. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for these words. Thank you that you have called us to be your disciples, to set you in the right location in our hearts, that you believe we can make that decision and that you would be most delighted and glorified through that decision. Lord, through that, we'd begin to see life flowing into every aspect of our lives. Lord, we pray, give us the courage to do that, Jesus. Give us the courage to make that decision and that fresh commitment come September, even today if we feel moved by the Lord. Lord, give us that courage to make decisions and have conversations which would literally change the shape of our lives to reflect this truth that we're living for you first, Jesus. And Lord, help us to keep faithful to believing you, even if it doesn't look like you're answering our prayer. Even if we're still waiting for the particular answers to particular things, Lord, help us to live in a way that is committed 100%, and that through that we'd find eternal life in its fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. Shall we stand together? Turn to your neighbor. Stand together. We're going to say the grace to one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you, uh, if you took that sermon seriously, you need that grace, because <laughs> you're going to have to go do some serious soul searching. But my encouragement is to you to make that decision to follow Christ with everything. He will never, ever disappoint you. Amen? Amen. Team's going to lead us to one final song of worship.